or they make me. This is an emphasis on who made, not who was made. Right? God is the creator. God is the one who made him and fashioned or this word actually is better understood as established or formed. So this is about the maker, not the made. This is about His glory and His honor. Oftentimes I think we forget who made us and that's when sin comes in because when we forget who our maker is, it's easy to think that we can independently live our lives. That we don't need to be established on God's Word. We can choose what we want to have and what we don't want to have. But when we remember, as the psalmist does, that He is the one who made us, then we begin to realize that our lives have purpose. Just like everything that man makes has a purpose. That water tower outside has a purpose. What is that purpose? Is that purpose to look like a water tower? No. Is that purpose to hold sand? No. Is it a grain bin? Does it hold grain? No. It has a purpose of holding water so that when you turn on your faucet at home, you have water pressure. It's a pretty ingenious way. If you put water up high, it will flow down. Thank you, gravity. Right? But oftentimes we forget that the one who made us had a purpose in making us. And the psalmist is reminding us this morning that our creation by God was with purpose. And He's the one who established us in the home, in the community, in the family, in the church. Where we are, God has established us there. He put us here. He put you in the midst of your location for a purpose. And that purpose will include affliction. And it will include difficulty. Why? Because sin is prevalent. Sin is all around us. This world is drowning in sin. But if God's hands have made us and established us, what does that cause in us? It should bring hope if we believe it. The difference is there are many people in the world who say they believe it, but their lives do not attest to it. They don't make it seem true. So the psalmist, when he is thinking of his creator, he thinks of what he made him for and what his purposes are. And I would argue that we can find here that is the glory of God. It's not as explicit in some as in some texts of Scripture, but 
This is why we were created. And so when we are living our lives, we should live realizing that God has created us for the purpose of glorifying Him in all things, including affliction. I saw uh, a photo, I think it was in Mayfield, and it was this house that had just like, you could see all kinds of stuff had hit the house. It was vinyl siding, there were just holes all in it, and the house was wrecked, and there was a pile of someone else's house in the front yard, and there's a piece of plywood, white plywood, and painted in red letters was, I will praise him in the storm. I was thinking, that person, whomever it was, understood this truth. God made me, I will serve him no matter what. This is what Job's story is all about. What Satan had told Job, or was telling God, the only reason Job or anyone wants to serve you is because of the benefit they receive from it. And what did God say? No, Job loves me. He's, he's not just serving me because it's beneficial to him. He's serving me because I deserve to be worshipped. And so the whole story of Job is about God receiving glory in the midst of the storm. A God who is not able to be worshipped in our affliction and difficulties of this life is a God who should not be worshipped at all. Not that we go out seeking, as I said last week, affliction, seeing if we can put our house in the, right before the storm hits. That's, that's not our call. Our call is to serve God where He has established us and to be a light in the midst of every circumstance, not just the good not just the bad, and not just in the middle, with everything to glorify Him. And as a part of this being formed and made by God, the psalmist then says, Cause me to understand or give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. The psalmist understands that what little he does understand is from the Lord. And if God does not give him understanding, it doesn't matter how long he spends reading the commands of God, he will not understand them. How many people do we know who know so much about God's Word? I mean... Just tons, but it seems like their lives have never applied it. There's no understanding, true depth of understanding in their walk. But that's not all I believe the psalmist is. He's asking to understand God and His creation by God. Because if it doesn't start there, if we deny that we are created in the image of God, then we begin to totally misunderstand the Word of God. And especially His commands. What are His commands about? Purity? Holiness? What? 
The commands of God are a picture of God and what God requires of us. This is how we know who God is by the commands that He gave. It is a reflection of His character, His purity, His holiness, His love, His justice, His judgment. That's when we learn what we learn from the Scriptures. But the problem is if we start saying that you evolved from some slime, that you had no purpose, you lose that. I don't know how you could have hope in Maysfield, Mayfield today if you don't believe in God. I really don't. There are people there who their entire house is a mile away from where it used to be. And it's not in one piece. Their house looks like the big bad wolf blew it down. Right? I don't know if you've seen some of the aerial uh, footage, but it looks like matchsticks just scattered. Piles and piles and cars look like... It looks like our kids' room sometime. I don't want to make light of it, but, you know, looks the cars are all crushed up and it just... Like, is this real? And it is. But as Christians, when those times come, we actually have hope because our God does not rely on the good that's going on. God is in control of all things. And if those events hit us, we can turn to Him and be reminded of His faithfulness in the good and the bad. But we must start with a creator who made us with his hands, like a potter. That's why I've entitled this morning's message, Is the potter worthy to be served? Is the potter worthy to be served? but most especially in affliction. I hope so. Because when we understand who made us, and we understand that He has established us where we are, and we have that as the foundation of our understanding, then we begin to learn who God is and we begin to live a life that is a light to the world. It is a light to the lost. It is a light to Christians. Just like verse 74. This should be the result of other Christians seeing us living for Christ. Those who fear you see me and they rejoice. Or the NASB says, May those who fear you see me and be glad. This, this word translated glad or rejoice is, is a happiness, a just exuberance. They see the way you're living in the, in the good and the bad, in whatever circumstances, and they say, that person fears the Lord too. Can that be said of us? Do people 
see our lives and the way it is lived, especially Christians, those individuals who fear the Lord, not like tremble at Him in the sense of, oh, like some people do with a ghost, but people who fear in reverence and awe to serve and worship. That's the idea. These people who worship God, they see you and they rejoice. Why? Because God is glorified in your life. They can see you faithfully trusting the Lord. You say, well, how do I know that? Because in verse 74, the second half, he says, because. So why are they why are they rejoicing in seeing your fear? Or why are they rejoicing in you? Because I wait for your word. Or that word wait is also the word translated hope. I'm hoping in your word. You made me God. Right? You made me. You established me here. I'm going to wait on your word. I'm going to wait on what you promised in your word. So these people see you faithfully trusting the Lord, hoping in the Lord, and they rejoice. The world doesn't always rejoice, right? They think you're nuts. Crazy. Like, how, how can you write, praise you in the storm, and your house looks like a war zone? I mean, that's what all these images from Mayfield and Dawson Springs and even some parts of Bowling Green, it looks like somebody just dropped a bunch of weapon, you know, bombs on an area because it's like entire neighborhoods just gone. I mean, Mayfield... Just downtown Mayfield looks like something I've seen from World War II. The destruction and the power of a storm. But can we wait on the Lord even in the midst of something as tragic and devastating as that storm? Yes, we can. We don't have to be hopeless. We have a hope because... We have purpose. We know that God created us for a reason. And it's not so that we can run around acting like the world is over. It's so that we can glorify the God who created us no matter what happened. And we begin to say, like verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous, that your, your works are righteous. We like to say that part, right? We like to say that God's judgments are righteous, but the second part is really difficult. Because what did he say next? He says, And that in faithfulness you loved me. Is that what it says? I mean, that's what we want or maybe we would maybe we prefer that in faithfulness you bless me. You have blessed me, Lord. Well, actually, 
if he loved us, then it says a father, remember in Hebrews chapter 12? You're a child who's not loved if you're not chastised. The psalmist says that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. He's saying the same thing. This is a parallelism in 75. God's judgments are righteous and his affliction is faithful. That's really hard to take in. Sometimes it's really difficult because we think we have what it takes, but God is calling us to something deeper. He's calling us to realize that God made us, remember? And He established us and gave us understanding, even the ability to know Him, for the rejoicing of His people and the glory of God. And that even in the midst of our affliction, even when God is judging mankind, He is not only faithful, but He is righteous. He is worthy to be served no matter what happens in our lives. These are easy things to say here in Shelbyville, Kentucky this morning. Like Megan said, our home doesn't have trees through it. Or, I mean, if that storm had taken, our house would be gone. Who knows what would still be there? Maybe the rocks for the foundation, but I mean, it would be totally gone. It's easy to talk about these things, but in the midst of affliction, it is difficult. It's not easy. To be faithful. It's not easy to remember who made you. To remember that you have purpose in the midst of these trials. And so we begin to cry out like the psalmist in verse 76. Oh may your loving kindness comfort me. We need the Lord's comfort because it is too difficult to live without it. It is impossible. Because God has put us in this affliction so that what? We will turn to Him. We will find our hope in Him. Right? Remember verse 74? Why are people rejoicing? Why are the Christians and fellow worshipers of God rejoicing? Because we wait on the Lord. We are turning to Him. We're not turning to this world and its means of supplying our needs. We're turning to Christ. Oh, may your loving kindness comfort me. Be a comfort to me. 
This word loving kindness, we've seen it many, many times in Psalm 119, but it's again that covenant love of God, that never-ending love, that merciful love that does not end just because we've sinned. It is God's constant love that chases us down, chastises us, and brings us back to Him. So in the midst of his affliction, the psalmist is remembering that God is not leaving him. That God loves him and is chastising him for his good. Right? We know that from Romans. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord. Does it seem like good in the midst of the difficulty and the chastisement? No. Hebrews 12 tells us no affliction in the moment, no chastisement in the moment or discipline. It feels good. It doesn't. Just ask my kids. I I can attest to my childhood. There are times when I didn't want to sit down after a spanking because the chastisement didn't feel good on my hindquarters. Right? It's not painless, but hopefully my kids are able to move on because they know that I'm not doing it because I hate them. They know that I love them. They know that I'm correcting them. Maybe they don't understand it totally yet, but hopefully one day they'll look back and say, you know what, Dad loved me enough to make me do that and that and that and that and that because he knew what I needed. And the psalmist is crying out for this comfort from the Lord. Why? Like, how, on what basis? Like, how can he say that? Well, he says, according, verse 76, to your word, to your servant. Look, you have promised, Lord, to love me. Remember your covenant love? You made a covenant with me to comfort me. So, Do it according to your word. I know your word. I know what you said to me. I will trust and wait upon your word. Your promise. I mean, we have an even more explicit hope. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's loving kindness. His Hesed love. That covenant He made with Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Remember, all the promises of God are in Him, Jesus, yes, And amen. All those promises that the psalmist and the men of God of old trusted are complete in Christ. We have a greater covenant. We get to see the fulfillment of what the psalmist is talking about here. That 
loving kindness coming to pass and bringing comfort. So when your house looks like matchsticks or your health looks like the worst case scenario, when persecution comes, know that God will be there. He is the God of comfort and He has given us His Son so that we can know Him and be in relationship with Him and understand Him by His Holy Spirit. May we hope in the Lord. May we not only cry out for loving kindness, but may we also, verse 77, cry out for compassion. He says in verse 77, May your compassion come to me, that I may live. (coughs) This word compassion is actually plural in the Hebrew. So you could say, Let your compassions come to me, that I may live. The psalmist is continuing to return to verse 73. He's continuing to remember who made him with his own hands. Who established him. That because he made him and established him, gave him purpose. No man makes anything without a purpose. Sometimes... As men, we make things with a purpose and they don't actually work. But God, when He makes with purpose, He does not fail. He always makes for purpose. So the psalmist realizes if God does not show compassion, He will not live. God created him. He gave him breath. If God were to just take one breath away, He'd be done. The only way the psalmist can live is if God shows compassion. He follows this up with a very seemingly strange statement, right? Because he says, For your law is my delight. Why why should God... Show compassion on someone who delights in His Word. Why should God do that? Because that is a picture of someone who is worshiping God. You do not delight in God's Word unless you delight in the Maker and Creator and the Revealer of that Word, God Himself. This word delight is, it's not just delight. It is intense delight. It is extreme delight. So the psalmist is saying, for your law is my extreme and intense delight. There's nothing on this earth that delights me more. I mean, this is the delight I desire with all my heart to have. Not only for the Word of God, but for God Himself. Have you ever had a child who really, really delighted in your words? Really, really wanted to do everything that you said? I haven't. (laughs) 
I know I wasn't one of those. Why? Because we're sinners. But imagine if you did have a child like that. Would you constantly want to show compassion to that child? Oh yeah, you would. God created us with a desire to have people that want to actually do what we say. I think that's the image of God in us. Especially in roles of authority. But it's easy to continue loving someone who wants to do what you want to do. Not that we should live that way. Right? Not that we should seek to please someone all the time. But it's really easy to show compassion on someone when they agree with everything we say and they delight in us, in our words. And this is my cry, that I would delight in God no matter what circumstances may come, no matter what happens to me, that my continued waiting and hoping in the Lord because He's made me and He has established me where I am, I want to be the best clay pot wherever I'm placed. You know, I don't know if I'm on the street to throw garbage in, or, but I'm probably a really nice looking one because God made me, not to be prideful. But whatever purpose God has in my life, I want to be that vessel that gives honor and glory to Him. You know, in the lifetime of some um, clay pottery and, and nice things, they go through cycles, right? It may have been a hundred years ago that clay pot was just a, you know, it was out in the shed and they used it to store, you know, peat moss, who knows? But then some antiquer came along and they're like, oh, this is so sweet. And they sold it for $1,000. Okay, that may not be enough, but they sold it for $1,000 to this person. And they're like, oh, I've got to have that on my mantle. Maybe some of us are in the peat moss stage right now. We don't feel like, God, am I even giving you honor. Yeah, that, that, that container holding peat moss is doing its job. It's doing what it was made to do, but sometimes it feels like you get more honor when you're up on the mantle. You know, everybody comes in, oh, look at that nice piece. Well, if you saw where it came from. God has a purpose in our lives, and sometimes... And I found this out to be true in my own life. That purpose is not always explicit to, to me. 
God is calling us in the midst of every situation, in the, in the moment that we're living in, this day, this moment, to do what He's called us to do. To be faithful to Him, to wait on Him, to rejoice in Him, and then when difficulty comes, to cry out to Him in hope, waiting on Him, finding loving kindness in Him, being reminded of that, and, and finding compassion in Him, not in this world. Why? So that God is honored and glorified. In verse 78, the psalmist begins to move away from himself and he begins to talk about those who are against him. He says, let the insolent ones, we talked about this last time I believe it was, the arrogant, the, the really ignorant is the idea. Let the insolent ones be put to shame. Let them be ashamed. For with falsehood they have led me astray. Or the NASB says sub, they subvert me with a lie. They're liars. They're, they're seeking to take me down a crooked way with falsehood, with deceit and lies. So how would they be put to shame? You know, these, these people are they're trying to lead him astray with, with falsehood. Well, the psalmist can see the difference. And so it says, but I, and see that? But I will muse on your precepts, or I will meditate on your precepts. I will think deeply on your precepts. Why? Because if I know your precepts, I will not be led down the crooked way. I won't be led astray. I won't be going down the wrong path because I'll be looking at the instructions you gave me. I don't know if you remember um, or have read Pilgrim's Progress in a long time, but that was one of the things. When he entered the, the narrow door to start his path, he said, you need to follow the instructions we give you. This will keep you on the straight path. Don't, don't turn to the left or right. Just keep going. But what happened? When Christian decided to not listen and to forget the words that were given him, he got off on the crooked way. He ended up in Doubter's Castle. Is it Doubter's? Doubting Castle? In constant despair. Why? Because he had taken his eyes off the Lord and began to think on other things. Oh, look at that beautiful meadow. It, look, it just, you know, it, it connects to the road just up there. Well, it didn't. The rains came, the torrent came, and, and then he was in despair. But it's when he remembered and hoped 
in the Lord that he realized he had the key to exit the castle. But it wasn't till then. He, he had to hope in the Lord. The devil will constantly put people in our path who will seek to lead us astray. Even well-meaning people. Even people in the church who don't realize what they're saying is not true. Not saying that they're insolent ones, necessarily, but the devil doesn't care how little the lie is, but he knows that every little inch that we give is a large space in the future. Remember we talked about if you decided in an airplane to fly from Los Angeles to New York, but you were off by three degrees over that long of a distance, the the pilot may not really notice, but when they landed, they'd be like, oh, how did we end up, end up in Washington, D.C.? Right? Because they were led astray by just three degrees. Just three degrees. You know, in a hundred miles of flying, that may not seem like much. You know, we're only, you know, 30 miles from where we're supposed to be. But over thousands of miles of flying, it's 300. And as Christians, the devil wants to lead us astray. He wants us to follow a different path because he knows if we can, if he can just get us to, to, to move and compromise in this one specific area, just a little bitty bit, then we'll fall astray. We'll be led astray. That doesn't mean that every, everything that we think is a problem is a problem either. We need to be people of the Word. We need to be meditating on God's Word like the psalmist. We need to take the lies of the arrogant and the prideful and the the ignorant, really, and take them to the Word. God, what does your Word say? I'm going to meditate on your Word no matter what these people do because I know that they will be put to shame. But will we muse on his precepts or will we believe the falsehood and begin to be led astray? Will we end up in Doubting Castle and have to be delivered by the grace of God from despair? I don't know. It's a choice that we make every day. Will we trust the Lord? Will we hope in the Lord or will we... Say, you know what? That sounds really good. The devil doesn't typically just throw out outright lies. He likes to taint the truth with just enough of a different flavor to make us think, well, you know, that's okay. Right? He he wants us just to, to take one little step away. I mean, even one degree. If we, we can step us off in one degree, then, then eventually, down the road, we're way off. That's why we have to be careful as believers to be constantly returning to the Word, constantly allowing the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the truth of God's Word.
And again in verse 79, we have a return of those who fear the Lord. He says, let the ones who fear you return to me. You know, I've been through this affliction. I've been, I've been through this devastation. But let the ones who worship you return to me. Why? Why does he want them to return to him? Let's see. That they may know your testimonies, that I may magnify you. That they would hear of your glory and your honor. That's why he wants them to come back after he's been through affliction. Not so that he can, oh, you should have seen what I went through. Oh, it was terrible. Ah. Isn't that how a lot of people treat their trials? Not that we shouldn't talk about what God has done. We need to, we should. You know, it was not good. This, but how are we talking about our trials? Are we talking about them in such a way that God gets great glory? Or are we talking about them so that people will say, well, you've been through it. Oh, it's, your life is so hard. You know, you can still talk that way and get that response and say, well, but God got me out. It was okay. Well, does God really get honor and glory from that? No. So even the way we talk about what has happened in the past. But guess what? When we have those who worship God and they, they see us come through trial, and we're able to share God's faithfulness because we have, we have the ability to look back and see those moments throughout that trial when God answered prayers. You say, you know what, I was going through this and God did this. And then the devil attacked me in this area and then God did that. And, and now I'm here today because God is faithful. I waited on Him. I found this in His Word and I trusted that and, and God gave it to me. Because we're created by God, we want Him to get glory, especially in the church, especially among believers. We should not be afraid to share what God has done in our lives, what He has accomplished in our lives, despite the difficulties, the trials, the, the affliction that have come. And even to see, you know what? I did not like this trial. But I saw, I see why God allowed me to go through it. I see why He brought me through because I was prideful in this way or I was trusting in my own strength or I was speaking this way about others. God wanted to expose my sin so that I could draw near to Him and, and guess what? He delivered me. He provided for me. He cared for me. And finally, in light of serving a potter who is worthy, the perfect potter who, no matter what he makes, it is his purpose will be completed. We can finally say in verse 80, 
May my heart be blameless in your statutes. May my heart be blameless in your statutes. Or this, this, if you want a complete literal translation, so please bear with me. It says, may my heart exist in the status of complete in your statutes. This idea of perfection, being complete, finding completeness in in the statutes of God. So, he's asking that his heart would be blameless or, or without fault, without spot, that he would be able, by the power of God, to walk in holiness and purity. Why would he want that? Why, would, why is that so important to him? Well, we see in the second half, he says, so that, remember I've, I've talked about this, especially when we were doing the series in Romans, so that is a purpose clause. So that I may not be ashamed. Ashamed of what? God! That's what! When our hearts are blameless towards the Lord, it's, we're not getting, seeking our own glory. We're, we're seeking the glory of the one who made us and formed us and, and established us. So, when our heart is right with God, then we're going through trials with joy, though it's difficult. We're going through trials with hope and peace, though our house looks like Matchsticks. But we're not ashamed of Him. We, we aren't ashamed because God is doing what He's promised because we've hoped in Him. We have put our trust in Him. I pray we are not ashamed of the Gospel. Not ashamed of to continue to live according to God's Word, to delight in God, to wait on Him, to find our love in Him, our compassion in Him, to find truth in Him. Because if we continue to remember that He created us, and He has established us where we are, then we can get to the end of our lives no matter what circumstances have come our way and say, I am not ashamed because God has been faithful through it all. Even in my affliction. May we serve our Maker without shame. Let's pray. Lord, make us people of your word, people who are unashamed of the gospel, unashamed to live for you. We need your spirit every day, Lord, to expose our sin, expose the lies the devil would seek to bring Lord, we need the work of Christ to cleanse us from all our sin. 
Give us hope, Lord. And help us extend hope to the lost and dying. Lord, I pray that in Mayfield and Dawson Springs and Bowling Green and the other cities and towns of our state and the other states that have been affected by this tornado, that your truth would be spoken by believers. That believers there would be encouraged. That you would provide for their physical and material needs, Lord, but also that you would encourage them emotionally. Lord, speak to them spiritually through your spirit and through your word, Lord. Speak to us this morning and help us to be a light in a dark world. Lord, the devastation of souls is far greater than the devastation we've seen this weekend. But Lord, let us see what the devil is doing to the souls of the lost around us, that we would see their souls as we saw that footage of destruction from a tornado. The devil only seeks to still kill and destroy. And he is doing a great job, unfortunately, of that in our nation. We pray, Lord, you would give us hearts to see people born again, brought to life from the dead, brought out of the destruction of this world, clay that's formed by you for your glory. Make us a light, Lord. And I know that we will be a light if we are living in a delight of you and your word, remembering who made us. Pray this now in Jesus' name.